if you've got your Bibles, we're going to jump right in. You can go uh, straight to John 15 if you either have a Bible or a flat screen. I'm going to read, uh, have it up here on the screen. You can follow along on your phone as well. This is John chapter 15. We've been looking at this in our series we call Further Up and Further In. We've been looking at what it means to live out and explore the ramifications of the gospel in our lives. And uh, we've been looking at this parable, metaphor, uh, teaching that Jesus gave. So this is John 15, 1 through 11, we're going to read. It says, I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Two more quick passages, Ephesians. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Can we actually read that verse together? Can we do that this morning? Are you able to read? (laughs) One of you can, so that's enough for me. So let's read this. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. That's been kind of our platform for this portion of our our series, of our journey through uh, John 15, 1 through 11. And we've been looking specifically at this faith dynamic within the context of of the gospel, how faith becomes the channel that brings the grace of God into our life. This is Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, in a paraphrase of the Bible, written um, by Eugene Peterson called The Message. And I just like the way he said this here, so we've departed from the normal Holy ESV, kidding, uh, version of the Bible to read out of The Message. This says, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd. By faith we see the world called into existence by God's word. What we see created by what we don't see. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it's a living and an active word, not a dead and a passive word. God, I thank you that you are good and that you are faithful to speak to us as your children. And so we come to you this morning desperate to hear from you, crying out to you to come and to deliver your word. God, give us the ability to perceive and to hear and to receive your word today. God, it's not enough 
that you would speak. God, we, we need to be able to hear you. So in grace, in humility, we ask that you would speak and allow us to hear. But God, if we may press you even further, God, give us the grace not only to hear, God, but to receive. God, not only to hear and to receive, but Lord, to apply your word, to do what it is you've called us to do. Let us be doers of your word, not simply religious hearers, but devoted doers of your word. God, give us the grace and the faith to trust and obey you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Amen. Very, 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 very quickly, I don't have a lot of time to go over where we have been. I need to get us to where we are going. Um, This is kind of our big kind of understanding here from John 15. It says that the calling and mandate from the Lord on the believer are impossible. Praise Jesus. You are called, according to John 15, to abide in Christ, bear fruit, and be filled with joy. And by yourself, you are incapable of fulfilling that command. (laughs) Such an uplifting message. God calls you to, this whole idea that has permeated the church, God will never call you to do anything that you're unable to do. That makes a really pretty bumper sticker and probably sells a few t-shirts, but it's not true. God will always call you to do things that you are utterly incapable of doing. Everyone always gets so excited when I say that. So the calling and mandate from the Lord on the believer are impossible. Our only hope is to totally and completely unite with Jesus until we are fully hidden in him so that his perfection engulfs so thoroughly our imperfection that we stand clean in him and he stands glorified in us. Amen? Our hope is to abide and unite with Jesus. And so we, we've looked at that. We've, 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 died, we've dove into the, the reality of what it means to trust and abide in Jesus. And really we've realized that this, the whole thing hinges on our ability to have faith in him. And Jesus takes it even further and says that as you live a life of faith, as you abide in me, as you trust in me, as your, all of your hopes and all of your cares and all of, all of your resting is done in me, impossible things will begin to happen through you. He says, you pray and I'll answer you. You'll ask for things and they'll happen. And so we've shifted from this portion of, uh, of Scripture. We've begun to look at this passage in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. And again, without going too deep, just trying to get us to where we need to start this morning, we've seen that the book of Hebrews was written by an unknown author to people who, who at that time were in a religious system called Judaism. They were Jews. They were Hebrews, hence the name. Pretty good, huh? Hebrews, and they were, they were a religious people. They were an educated people. And, and they thought that, that their salvation came from what they did. And so they heard the gospel and they even responded to the gospel, but they struggled, like many of us do, to say, really, is all I really need to do to just simply rest in Jesus? Is that all I have to do? No, I need to rest in Jesus and then do stuff. Or they thought, well, I start by resting in Jesus and then I I, I progress on to doing stuff and proving that I'm worthy of his grace. And the reality is, is that we are utter and totally unworthy of his grace. And it's important for me that we understand that this idea of further up and further in does not mean abandoning the grace through faith model that we are shown in the gospel, but rather applying it more fully to every area of our life. You never progress past the gospel. You never progress past grace. I was driving, and I'm, I'm not trying to say anything negative about any of the church, but I saw a church, and it was called Beyond Grace. 
where are you then? Like, I mean, what's, what's beyond grace? It's all grace. And what the writer of Hebrews at this point is trying to show them is this, that look, it's always been by grace through faith. This is not like God came up with a better way, like God was up in heaven and He was like, oh, I'll, I'll give them the law and they'll have to do that and here you go. And then He watched for a couple thousand years and went, oh, bummer. I messed up. I forgot they're sinners. I'll, send, I'll come up with a new way, grace through faith. What, what he's showing here is, look, it's always been by grace through faith. What we've said is this, that the, the pathway, the, the well-worn path into the kingdom, into the gospel, into that which God has called us to is the ancient path of faith. It's always been that. And so what the writer of Hebrews here has done is he's going to go through a bunch of people in the Old Testament to prove this to them. So we've been looking at a couple of them, and now we are on to Hebrews 11, verse 7. Hebrews 11, 7. Fly through the whole book, and park on Hebrews 11, 7. It says, by faith, Noah. Everybody say Noah. Okay, confession time. Anybody else make the mistake, waste your money, and go see the movie? <laughs> yeah, you're all smarter than me. Um, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. In reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes, everybody say, by faith. Okay, so here's what I want us to, to see. Here's what I need us to, to grab a hold of and to kind of grasp here for a second. I need you to understand something. The reality is here that the writer of Hebrews is just taking for granted that you know who Noah is. He's just kind of taking, he just, if you think about it, really, we looked at, at Abel and Enoch last week, and in Abel and Enoch, we saw that, that faith offers, that, that Abel came and he offered not only the sacrifice of, of the gift of God that was given to him through his, his livestock, but he even offered his own life, and that by faith, he offered, faith offers. If we're going to walk down this path of faith, we are going to be those who offer, who give. We saw then in Enoch that faith walks, that it's not about a one-time giant, I'm going to give it all to Jesus, but a daily walking in obedience with the Lord. But really, if you stop and think about it, we got, you get like one sentence about all these people. He just takes for granted. Here's why. He was writing to Jews, to Hebrews. These, these people knew their Bible like you know quotes from Dumb and Dumber. Right, like that was that was the that was the culture of their day. This was this was pop culture. He's he's making pop culture references, and he doesn't need to dive into it. And he just kind of takes for granted that you know about it. And here's the problem: you may not know about it. You're like, oh, cool, Noah. He was the one with the boat, right? Cool story, bro. Bill Nye says it's full of crap, though. Here's what I want to make sure. I want to make sure we all get this. I want to make sure we all know this. So if you have a Bible or a phone that can have the Bible on it, or if you have some, some, time, some, some uh, ability to jot down some notes, Genesis chapter 6 through chapter 9, all the way through it. That's the story of Noah. You just thought it was like a little pop-up book that you had as a kid. But it's actually a whole long Bible story. There's a lot of details here. And I don't have the time this morning to go and read it all. So I'm going to throw it out to you. If you love Jesus, you'll read your Bible. And so therefore, I'm giving you some, some uh, direction 
for your Bible reading this week. So you can read that this week as you're having your devotion. But I'm just going to go over it here and make sure we get what's going on. So to give you some context, God in his love and in his nature created the world. Giving you a lot of context. Out of who he was, everything was created. Created all things and all things he created good. And and in this good creation, he placed a good man and a good woman. Everybody said amen. (laughs) He created a good man and a good woman and he placed it in the earth to have dominion and to watch over creation and to enjoy it and to love it. And inside of this, he said, here, here you go. I'll tell you what's right and wrong. Just do what I say. Don't do what I don't say. And we went, I don't like that deal. I want to do what I want to do. And our father Adam, like all of us since his life, have chosen to say, I will choose what I want to do instead of what God tells me to do. I think I can pick what's right and wrong better than what God can do. And like Adam, we all discover that we suck at doing that. We are horrible at picking what's right and wrong. We think we're good at it, but if you've lived long enough, you realize that you and I make mistakes constantly in picking what's right and wrong. I constantly try to argue with God, like, I can handle my own life. Just tell me where my keys are. (laughs) I can't remember where I put my phone sometimes, but I think God should let me handle the way I handle my entire life. The Bible calls... Choosing our way instead of God's way, simply sin. And I know that word's not popular, but it's in the Bible, so we believe it. We all sin, all of us. Don't think I'm standing up here calling you a sinner. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, he's a sinner, she's a sinner. We're all sinners. We all sin by omission and commission, meaning we don't do the good things we know we should, and we do do the wrong things we know we shouldn't. Sorry. I think poop is funny. So, we all do it. All of us sin, like me right there. We all sin. Utterly and totally and completely. Pink was wrong. We aren't broken. We aren't just bent. We're completely and utterly and busted, broken, and disgusted. And so in this, God promises in this, because of our sin, because of our fall, He promises a Savior. He promises triumphing over sin and then calls Adam and Eve to place their faith in that coming Savior. Adam and Eve then go about their lives having a bunch of kids Those kids have kids, and those kids have kids, and about 1,500 years later, Noah's born. And by this time in the earth, the earth has completely and utterly degraded because of humans. We have completely and utterly screwed everything up. And the Bible says that every single intention of our heart, God looks down and sees that the, the course of sin has run completely, and man has completely corrupted the earth. Injustice is running rampant. Sin and depravity, pain and and suffering have completely covered the earth. Vegas and Detroit everywhere. Right? And God looks down and as as a just and a loving God, He wants to bring judgment upon that. The Bible tells us not only has it gotten corrupted by man, check this out, it's gotten so bad that demons feel comfortable just hanging out on the earth. Literally, it says it in the Bible. Demons feel so comfortable that they start shacking up with women and having babies. Raise your hand if before you're like, I'm not going to read the Bible, and now you're like, where's that? <laughs> What's that reference? Genesis 6 through 9. Genesis in the very front. You're all like, I'm reading this this week. This is in the Bible. Check it out. And so this, this just continues to perpetuate the sin and depravity that's on the earth. 
And so God says, you know what, I'm going to judge this. Now let me explain something here because I want us to have a proper picture of God. The Bible says that it is appointed once for man to die and then to be judged. You will all be judged. I will be judged. We will all be judged by God. When you die, you will stand before God and give an account for your life. Now if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you'll, you'll throw yourself in front of the Lord and say, I- I'm just hoping that his death makes up for my mistakes. I'm hoping that his life is good enough to make up for my crummy life. The way we put it around here, I suck at life, but he doesn't. Those who don't do that will find that they stand before God condemned. That is God's normal way. One at a time judgment. But but, but sporadically throughout history, we see God bring judgment on on a giant scale. And that's what we see here. Really, in the Old Testament, this is probably one of the most amazing, one of the most powerful, probably the second most powerful event in the Old Testament. The first would be creation. God made everything out of nothing. (laughs) Pretty big deal. And here we see him judge. So he goes and he finds Noah. He says, Noah, I'm going to bring judgment on the earth. And I can just imagine Noah. I've heard some people say he was probably deep in devotional prayer. I think Noah was probably just going about his normal day. He's probably just looking around, seeing the depravity, seeing the, the pain, the suffering that people were going through. Probably just going about his day, doing whatever his job was, herding sheep or making Xboxes. I don't know what he did. And he's just going about his day, kind of chugging along, and all of a sudden, he hears God speak. And God warns him. He says, look, I'm, I'm going to judge the world. I was like, what? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to judge the world. You see everything? You know how much it frustrates you? You see people suffering. You see pain. You see the poor being taken advantage of. You see, you see people choosing their own way instead of what I call them to. You know how angry that makes you? know well, it makes me angry too, so I'm, I'm going to judge this. I'm going to take care of this. I was like, cool. So here's what God says. I'm, I'm going to judge the world. I'm going I'm to take care of this, so build me a box. The word ark in the Bible is the Hebrew word for box. <laughs> I can only imagine. I mean, can we, we like putting Noah as like a little person, right? Like the little people, like <laughs> on the little plastic boat. Noah was a real guy. And here's what he hears God say. I'm going to destroy everything, so build me a box. Cool. Well, I can do that. Like a box. Like a little box. No, I need, I need a little bit bigger than that, Noah. <laughs> Notice, God doesn't tell him why. He just says, I'm going to destroy the world. Build me a box. And Noah's like, okay. Make it out of gopher wood. Gopher wood. Gopher wood's hard to find and expensive. I know. I really hope this is small. The wife's going to be pissed. (laughs) Tells him to build it. He gives him the dimensions. In, In modern dimensions, I need you to catch this. 450 feet by 75 feet by 45 feet. That's 1.52 million cubic feet. I can only imagine Noah's like, dude, that's a big box. Do you just want the door out of gopher wood? I'll make a really nice gopher wood entry system. I'll build the rest out of pine. How about that? No, he says build it all out of gopher wood, seal it with pitch inside and out. This puppy needs to be waterproof. Waterproof. I'm in a desert, bro. I know, but I'm going to make it rain. Oh, yeah. What's rain? It's never rained before. Did you know that? Noah, in the time of Noah, we, we see in the Bible that the, the, 
that at that time in the, the, the geographical history of the earth, the Bible says there was water under the earth and there was water over the earth. There was literally, and we don't know, you know specific details, but there was a canopy of water over the entire earth, and so we kind of had this giant greenhouse. Biblical historians, from what they can tell, think that the earth at that point was probably almost all tropical. How many people want to go back in time? It's like living on Hawaii all the time. And the, the water then would just mist the ground and then go away. It never rained. And so God tells Noah, I'm going to do something you've never seen before. I'm going to do something you think is impossible. I'm going to make it rain. Noah now has to choose to say, am I going to trust this? And Noah then chooses to trust. And the Bible tells us he spends the next 120 years building a 1.52 cubic foot box. If you follow those dimensions, what he built was a giant box. We see pictures and it always has like a nice little point. No, it had no rudder. It had no, it had no sails. It had no ability to be navigated. It was just a giant box. And they built it. And I stop and we think about it and we have to, we have to stop and I, I want to try to make this as, as real and grounded as we can. Think about where Noah was in that moment. So right now, he's got to believe that God even exists. That's the first place, right? We saw that last week, that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. We saw that reward means that he doesn't give us stuff, he gives, him, he gives us himself. And so Noah's got to all of a sudden here go, okay, I believe that God exists, so this thing I'm hearing is not just the burrito I ate earlier, it's real. I mean, I remember hearing... I remember hearing my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa Seth talk about how Adam talked about how God spoke. And I remember hearing stories about this dude named Enoch who supposedly walked with God, but I've never heard God before, and I've never heard anybody else who hears God before, but apparently God is. He, he's responding to me, and he speaks. God talks, and God's talking to me. He's got to believe this. And he's got to believe, he's got to trust that, that what God is saying can be trusted. He's got to trust that God can do this impossible thing that he's saying. He's got to trust that God's going to empower him to build this. We have no evidence that Noah was any kind of builder. Noah had, as far as we know, nothing qualified Noah for this other than the fact that God went, yeah, I'll pick him to do it. And God in his graciousness reaches down and grabs Noah. Now yes, we know that Noah didn't have any of that funky demon stuff going on in his genealogy, so there's that. But really otherwise, Noah didn't seem to do anything until God delivers his word. And what we've seen consistently throughout our journey into faith is this, that faith quite simply is this. Faith is an obedient response to God's word. It's not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's not stirring something up and suddenly when the worship band's playing and the hairs are sticking on my neck and the tears rolling down, I have faith. But then when the dude cuts me off on the freeway, no faith. Faith is just simply responding obediently to what God speaks to us. Be it personally and certainly be it in what he says he calls us to do in his word. And Noah does this. He, he responds in faith to what God calls him to do. And through this, check this out, through, through his obedience, through his faith, through his obedient response to God's word, he builds a box. And in this box, through this box, he becomes, the Bible tells us, an heir of righteousness. Through this box, 
Not only does he personally become an heir of righteousness, but come on, through this box, he saves his whole family. All of his family gets saved. They all make it through the flood. Not only does he save his family, not only does he become an heir of righteousness, the Bible tells us that by the saving of some, others stand condemned. But ultimately, catch this please, Noah saves the entirety of the human race because of his faithful obedience to God. Because what God says to him is going to happen. Guess what? It happens. The Bible says that all that water above the earth and all that water under the earth, all in a moment, come down and come up. And the entirety of the world is flooded. And everything on the face of the earth dies except for those animals that God has brought to Noah to put into the ark. Some roughly estimate about 15 or 14,000 animals go into the ark. And if you're wondering, yes, you can do the math. And if you use the average size of an animal, which is about a sheep, some bigger, some smaller, you can fit them all into 1.52 million cubic square feet. It's a lot of sheep. Anybody else wonder sometimes what it smelled like in there? Thankfully, God tells him to leave a one cubic window around the whole top of the boat. So build me a box, but make sure it's open at the top. And I wonder if Noah was like, I wonder why. And then like three, four days in, he was like, I'm really glad there's that vent up there. In his faith, in his obedience, he brings salvation to the entirety of the human race. Pretty amazing. One dude saved everybody. Here's what I want to try to do in the last eight minutes here. I want us to see something that, like Noah, we are called to live by faith as well. Like Noah, we have to choose. Catch this, please. We have to choose to trust. But see, where Noah had to trust God, we now are called to trust the God who has revealed himself as Jesus. Because, come on, say it with me. It's all about? Oh, come on. It's all about? Jesus. So we have to trust that not only is God, but God is Jesus, that Jesus is God. We have to choose to put our faith, to put our trust that Jesus is God and that he rewards us in himself for following him. So I want to do this. I want to prove this to us. Where did I go? I got scriptures in here. I'm really good with technology. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Who's him? Jesus. All of God's promises are fulfilled to you and for you in Jesus. Every promise you see in Scripture finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. This is why it is through him that we utter our amen, our let it be so, our obedient response to God for his glory. We have to trust that Jesus is God and that he's our reward. Like Noah, we have to trust. Like Noah, we have to obey. We also have to obey like Noah. We have to believe that God speaks to us. That in the chaos and the craziness of our life, God comes and delivers a word. We need to believe that this speaks to us. That this isn't just some vague collection of 66 books written by 40 crazy people over a couple thousand years, but that this is the living, active, trustworthy Word of God and that it applies to me. We also have to believe that He speaks to us directly. We're crazy around here. We're only as weird as we have to be and we have to believe that God speaks to us. Here's why. John 15, 15 through 16. It says this, 
No longer do I, this is Jesus speaking, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He speaks to us. Do you know the church is not supposed to be caught off guard by what God's doing? God's going to speak to you. God's going to deliver His Word to you. We need to trust when He does so. We need to know that we can trust Jesus. Come on, somebody, that He's trustworthy. Romans chapter 10, verse 11. Romans 10, 11 says this. It says, For the Scriptures say, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Let me tell you something. If you're here and you are struggling with trusting in Jesus because you're afraid that you're going to be made to look like a fool, the Bible promises that those who trust in the Lord are not put to shame. Come on, somebody. He's trustworthy. What he's saying to you can be trusted. The entirety of the book of Hebrews was written to prove that. So I gave you one verse here, or a whole book. I didn't have time to read the whole book to you, so I picked this one. Jesus can be trusted. We need to believe, like Noah, that God does amazing and significant and profound things. Luke 18, 27. It says, but he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. You need to believe that impossible situation, that impossible struggle that you're going through is possible when God steps in. Amen? We need to believe like Noah that God will grace us and empower us to do what is needed. His grace is what you need to fulfill what He's called you to. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's not about what you can do. It's about what God can do through you. We talk about God doing impossible things through you. It's not a matter of your abilities. It didn't matter that Noah didn't know how to build a box. God empowered him by grace through faith to build that box. Amen? So here's what I need us to see now. That's all good and that's all great, but there's this one thing that if you're like me right now is itching in your brain. Okay, well, I need to be like Noah. I need to trust Jesus. I need to trust. Okay, cool. But Noah built something. Right? I mean, Noah built a box. So this is what I find myself doing. Lord, what's my box? Well, what's the box I'm supposed to build? Where, where's my box? To build? Where, where, where is it? Okay, I, I want to I do all those things and I want to trust you and I want to I do that. I want to I be like Noah. So what's, what's the box we're called to build now? And when we look through Scripture to find an example of what it is that we are called to build, can I just go here right now? It is the local church. It is the local body of Christ. Look, there's nothing else that saves the world like the church. Matthew, I gave you scriptures for everything else, I'm going to give you scripture for this. Matthew chapter 16. All the Bible college students were like, I totally knew he was going here. Matthew 16 verse 16 says, Simon Peter replied, so Jesus, let me give you some backstory here. Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say I am? Who do people say that I am? 
And they're like, oh, people have all kinds of crazy ideas. They think you're some famous person from the Bible, or they think you're one of the prophets, whatever. It's kind of just a lot of stuff. People aren't really sure who you are, Jesus. You're a little outside the box. Jesus said, cool, who do you say I am? Everybody else is quiet, and Peter steps forward because he's used to the taste of his own foot in his mouth, so he's cool with, like, taking the risk. And he steps forward, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What Jesus here says is this. The thing that I'm going to use to bring the kingdom into the earth is the local church. It's not some other thing out there. He's not going to come up with another idea. The ark, the thing that's going to preserve humanity through everything that is to come, is the local church. And if faith obeys and offers like we saw with Abel and we need to be like that and offer God our life, if faith like Enoch walks and we need to realize that it's a lifelong journey that we're called to live with Jesus, that he wants to be involved in our daily life, well guess what? Faith also builds and the thing you're called to build is the local church. That's the thing that we are called to give our lives to. I think it's interesting that Noah, come on somebody, gave 120 years to build the ark. How long does the Bible say man will live now? 120 years. The church is not some passing fad that we kind of do in high school and then grow out of. I was kind of into church when it was cool when I was in youth group when we did games up front and made people puke. But now it's kind of like it's just about the Bible. Kind of over it. It's not the truth. Church is not a passing fad. The church is not some, some outdated out, worn out idea that God had that he's looking for something new to do. It is through the gathering together and the biblical organization of his people that he calls his body and the church that he will bring about the proclamation of the gospel, the advancing of the kingdom, and the very building of itself up in love. It is through the local church. We don't back down from this. We don't deny this. We don't shrink away from this. We believe that the local church is the hope of the world. This is not some like little side dish that we add to our life. Like, well, I have my life, and then Sundays I go, and I kind of do the church thing for like an hour and 15 minutes if Mark doesn't talk too long. No, the church is the very thing that God is doing in the earth, and therefore I give, catch this please, my time, talent, and treasure to it. Noah had to devote, come on, his time to it, 120 years. This wasn't like one day he woke up, it was like, I feel like building a box today, the next day he didn't. He, he had a deadline. He had to build this thing. He gave his time to it. He gave what talent he did have to building it. He built with skill the boat. Do you realize that if he screwed up the design, everything failed? This was not something to haphazardly throw together. This was something to be built with skill. Can I tell you something? The church needs to be built with skill. The church can't just be thrown together. We don't, we're, we're building this local church here called Sozo. We're not just throwing it randomly together as we see fit. Like, I got an idea. Why do we do communion every week when we gather together? Because Jesus calls us to. To remember his broken body and his shed blood. Why do we sing songs about him? Because we're called to give the fruit of our lips, giving praise to his name, is the very sacrifice he desires. Why do we hear his word taught? Because the Bible tells us in Acts that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. 
We do what we do, how we do it, because it is what we are called to in Scripture. Now, is there stylistic things we're allowed to do? Yes. But ultimately, we build with skill, time, talent, and treasure. Noah had to go buy wood. Noah had to go invest in these things. I was reading one biblical historian who pointed out, I'd never personally thought of this, maybe you have because you're all smarter than me, but I'd never really thought about this. Because Noah wasn't skilled, the chances are he possibly had to hire other laborers to build this thing with him. He had to invest in things like cranes, <laughs> 75 feet high, or 45 feet high, 75 feet wide. That's a big, big box. He had to, he had to hire people to help him possibly, he had to invest his money. Can I tell you, look, the church costs money. I'm not going to apologize for it. It's a reality. Oh, you're after is my money. I'm after everything in your life. Your money just happens to be one of the casualties of that. So we see here, the ark is the church. Faith builds, faith builds the local church. Find it interesting then that through the local church we see this perfectly fulfilled. It's in the local church we find our righteousness in Christ. It's in the church that our family, come on, it's not just for you, it's for your family. Families come together and families find salvation. And yes, it is through the local church that the world sees that it is condemned. But the hope is, come on somebody, the hope is that through the proclamation of the gospel, yes, we see our own hopelessness, but we find hope in Jesus. And we run to the local church. We run to the ark. The Bible tells us that, Moses, or that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We need to be those who proclaim the gospel to the earth and see the ark filled. Come on, somebody, not with two of every kind, little sheep and lambs. We should bring lambs into the church. We are what God is trying to save in this earth. Come on, somebody. Every kind, not just the people you like. Invite the person at work you like the least. Maybe Jesus will work on them. <laughs> Think of that. through the local church. Amen? So let's stand to our feet. We're going to do a little bit different response this morning. Typically here, we would respond with, um, with some worship. Typically we would respond right now with, uh, with singing. Typically we'd take communion now, but we did that earlier because I want to, I want to respond differently this morning. We are called to be like Noah and to build something. Amen? So this morning, what I want to do is call us to be a part of building the local church. So here's what I'm going to do. I want everyone to respond in three ways. The first is this. If, if you want to know more about getting plugged in to the local church. Now, hear me on this. and I'm dead serious. I'm not just saying this because there's another pastor in the room. I don't really care as much about what church you get plugged into. I just want to make sure you're plugged into a church. Because let me tell you something, bouncing around from church to church is not being planted. And there is something significant that happens when you plant yourself in a local church. And you say, this, this is my church. This is the one I'm going to build. This is the one I'm going to serve. This is the one I'm going to submit to. This is the one I'm going to be a part of. And you don't just let yourself float out there in la-la land. Now listen, I'm kind of partial to Sozo. I think the pastor's wife is pretty cute. 
I'd show up every week just to see her. <laughs> Don't say amen to that. <laughs> but if you're here, you should have been given a, a connection card, a little piece of paper you can fill out with your information. If you're here, I want you to grab that. And I want you to say, if you're here and you say, look, I, I need to get plugged into a church. Maybe God brought you here this morning because this is the church you're supposed to get plugged into. And if you want to know more about Sosa, we're getting ready to do one of our, uh, our we call it a VIP reception, a VIP uh, evening where we're, we're going to talk to you about what it means to be part of this local church. But listen, if you go, look, I don't like, you're not funny and your music's too loud. Cool. Then you should not come here because I'm always this unfunny and our music's always this loud. I'll help you find a church because I love you enough to help you find a place that you can get plugged into. And maybe this isn't the place for you. I think it should be because I think... I like the loud music. I think I'm hilarious. So, I really don't. I know I'm a dad, and I know all my jokes are dad jokes. But right on the back of that piece of paper, fill it out. If you want to get more plugged in, if you want to devote your time here, it's the time to let us know that. Respond to this word. Secondly, if you have a talent, you have something, you have a gift that you want to, to make useful inside the local church, and you want to say, look, maybe, maybe it's I want to get involved in the kids' ministry. Maybe it's I want to be involved with being a host. Maybe I see John up there and that looks easy. I'd rather sit up there. You have some gifting and running sound or being involved in worship and you want to get involved. Let us know. Write it on the back. We want to find a place for you to serve and give of your talents. And lastly, we're going to take up an offering because we do it every week. Ask the ushers to get ready for that. And I want to ask you to give. You can give with what you have in your pocket, you can give online. We've got lots of ways for you to give. But ultimately, let's give for two reasons. One, because it proves that you trust Jesus with your money. Now, I don't have New Testament mandate to tell you how much to give. That's between you and Jesus. But let's give. Let's be generous. The second reason, and we make no excuse about this, it takes money to do what we're doing. We have to pay for rent. We have to pay for lights. We, have, we want to be able to have so we can give to others and be a blessing to our city. So you're giving, yes, it shows that you trust Jesus, but it also shows that you want to help build the local church. So let us know if you want to get plugged in or if you need help finding a church. Maybe you're here from out of town and you don't know churches in your area. We've got friends that pastor churches all over the country. Let us know if you want to get plugged in and give of your talent and give of your treasure. I'm going to pray, and here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to let it be quiet in here while Chris makes beautiful angel noises behind me. And I'm going to give you about 30 to 60 seconds to just pray and to ask the Lord how he would call you to respond. Because let's be real, maybe you're like me, and you, you struggle with this whole idea of planting yourself in a local church. This was not easy for me when, it's, when I started down this journey. But if I want to go, I knew if I wanted to go further up and further into the gospel, finding a local church to plant myself in was a part of that. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head and to close your eyes to give yourself some space. I'm not trying to be weird and be all emotionally or anything. I'm just trying to give you some privacy in the, a room this full. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to us. We trust, Jesus, that you speak to us. And so right now we're asking that you would come and speak your word into our hearts that we might know what it is you're calling us to do. That we might know what it is that you have for us. How it is you would call us to respond. Lord, is this the house we should plug into? Is, how is it we should serve here? How is it we can help build here with the gifts that you've given us? And Lord, also, 
pray for those that struggle with the trusting you with their finances, that the idea of giving causes them to recoil because how are they going to do the things they have to do? God, would you enable us to trust you? Give us the grace and the faith to trust you with our finances. We'll come and speak. It's going to take about 30 seconds here. Let God talk to us. Spirit, we thank you for the the offering that we are about to receive. Not just the offering of of finances, but the offering of time and talent as well. Take your time, fill that out. Buckets are going to get passed right now. You can either do that. If if you don't have a piece of a pen or something, you can email us curious at sozospokane.org is another way you can get us that info.